0: Good morning um, turning your Bibles to Genesis 25 I'll, I'll, I'll get to there now but while I just give it a little bit of an intro just that's the passage we're going to be dwelling in a bit today Often, when we are reading the Bible, and we hopefully you delight in trying to study from God's Word and you want to learn from God's Word, it's not reading it for the sake of, well, that's my Christian duty. I read the Bible so I could learn. One of the great study methods or ways that we can learn from Scripture is looking at the characters in the Bible, and the Bible's full of them. They're full of many, many characters. And what we get to do is ask the questions well, who are they? And what did they do? What were their mistakes? And um, what were their accomplishments? What are they known for? And then importantly, ask the question, what can I learn from those who have gone before me? Now, I remember when I was a high school teacher, taught for nine years, and often I would try and impart some wisdom to these teenagers. I would try and help them. I would try and tell them, if you go down that path, I must warn you, there's a number of pitfalls and obstacles and difficulties and struggles you'll face. So my warning is, don't go down that road. And the common answer, more common than not, was, you know what, sir? I'd rather learn the mistake myself. And I'd rather learn from my own experiences and then I'd learn from just trusting you. Have you, have you ever said that to somebody? Um, I'd rather go and do this and let me, I'd rather touch the electric fence for myself and see if it will shock me. Have you ever done that, Nicole, Lynn? <laughs> but we often are like that and we would say, well, I, 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 I'd rather choose to learn for myself. And unfortunately for some of us, the only way you will learn is going down that road yourself, falling in those holes um, Facing those obstacles, those challenges, those difficulties. But the reality is, is that there's not much wisdom in that. Um, It hurts. It's not pleasant at all. It slows us down from the very things God is asking us to do. And so the reality is we can learn from the counsel of others. And so we can learn even from the characters that we find in the Bible. Now what's great with the Bible, the Bible doesn't try to protect its characters. Have you noticed that? The Bible reveals the worst mistakes, the greatest failings, the moments of shame of many of its characters. Can you imagine that? Imagine if you think of the worst sins that you've committed in your life, and imagine if God said, great, we're going to write that in a book, (laughs) that'll get distributed around the world for thousands of years, and everyone for the rest of time will read about your great sin. How would you feel? (laughs) wouldn't be great, would it? But the Bible does that. The Bible says, well, we're going to expose you for what you've done so that others can learn from you. Think about Moses. When God says, well, you go speak to the rock that water would come out. In his anger, he strikes the rock and he doesn't get to go into the promised land. That is recorded in scripture. David, a man of the God's own heart, is revealed for having an affair and then murdering one of his own soldiers. We learn about him. We learn about Peter who In a moment, amongst commoners, denies Jesus three times. Just after he says, Jesus, I'll die for you. And then he just denies Jesus, just like that. We look at Thomas. Thomas who says, no, 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 Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. Unless I get to see the scars that he carries, I will not believe this. He gets nicknamed Doubting Thomas for almost the rest of his life. Poor Thomas. But even Mary, the mother of Jesus, she loses him for three days. Can you imagine that? Imagine God, the creator of all things, says, Mary and Joseph, I have the most incredible gift to the world. It's the savior of the world. I give him to you. You look after him. We got this father. And next thing on their way back to Bethlehem from Jerusalem. Hey guys, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They lost him for three days. That's the original home alone story. (laughs) Parents leaving their kids behind happened there. The Bible reveals it. It's not trying to protect their character But what's amazing in the Bible, too, is it shows how God still will use such people for his kingdom. Despite their flaws, God will show how he still loves them, how he still raises them. God still has mercy on them. And God will use him to still find a way to do great things for him and for his kingdom. And that's that's us, too. Today, we're going to look at Jacob. We're going to look at him. We're going to look at some of the things that he did. But importantly, we're going to see how God worked through him. And then hopefully you and I this morning, we'll see some things we could learn from this character. Just a reminder, we have Abraham. And Abraham is given this covenant, this unbreakable promise from God. God says to Abraham that your family will outnumber the stars in the sky. And he says that your lineage will be a blessing to to all nations. Your future generations will be a blessing to all nations nations that's the promise that is given to Abraham and that promise is then passed on to Isaac and then Isaac the father of Jacob passes that on to Jacob to his son and we see then that promise is fulfilled when as that lineage unfolds Jesus comes to the world and Jesus in uh, presenting the kingdom of God has come Jesus dying for the sins of all men and women for you and for me he becomes the blessing to all nations you know what's incredible You and me today, we are still that message. You and I are still the ones who carry the message of the blessing to all nations. We are part of that. We are part of the promise. And we proclaim the one who it is. It's Jesus. He's a blessing to every nation, every man, every woman. We see that Abraham, he's the pioneer. He's the initiator of the vision. Isaac ensures the continuity of the vision. And then Jacob, who we'll look at this morning, he's the one character. And as Marcus said, he's very suspect. He's very dubious in his way. He's a very sly character, but he's the one who sees this vision um, multiplied as um, the multitude of sons that he has become the tribe of Israel. To each of these three patriarchs, there's commissioning and election and blessing. Um, So let's have a look in Exodus 25. Let's see where it began with Jacob's birth. I'm reading from verse 21 to verse 23. And it says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and that's what the Lord said. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. This is important. The one shall be stronger than the other, The older shall serve the younger. So we find out later on that the two sons do become two nations. The one is Esau, he becomes Edom, and Jacob becomes the nation of, of Israel. But what's important is to note what God says to Rebekah. God announces in this moment his will and his plans before these boys are born. He says, The older will serve the younger. So Esau will end up serving Jacob. And now that's contrary to normal expectations. Within these cultures and even in cultures today, you would find the firstborn is the one who would carry the promise. He would get the large inheritance. He carries the family name. You would see it in in royalty. You see that's often the case. Here God says, I'm going against the normal expectation and I've declared something different. What God is doing is God is showing his authority, God is showing his plan and his will, and what God will choose to do. God's choice in this moment is to continue the promise he made to Abraham with Jacob, not with Esau. And this is important. He chooses that not because of anything that Jacob has done to warrant having this decision. Have a look at um, Romans. we will pop up on the screen. um, Romans chapter 9, verse 10 to 12. Paul speaking about this very moment. Look what he says. He says, When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, though they had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Jacob did nothing to warrant this blessing, to warrant this election, this call from God. But it's God showing his sovereignty. God showing his authority. He is the one who made this decision. See, God's way of using people and calling people and then transforming people is absolutely incredible. And you'll see it throughout scripture. you would actually see it across this room. The way that God called and chose you and chose me, and then transformed us to the people that we've become. It's incredible. I'm sure of this. God does not see people the same way you and I do. I pray and I hope you and I will see people more and more the way God does. But off the bat, you and I, we don't quite see people the way that God does. We would often overlook so many people that God would rather choose. And so often we would choose people that we think would fit the bill better, and God would overlook we see it so, so often. God chose Jacob in this moment, the second born. Nothing special about him, no good, nothing warranted. In fact, probably more sly, more deceiving than Esau, but God said, I choose Jacob. God chose David to become king of Israel. When his own father forgot about him, God says, I see you in, in, in the field. God chose him. God chose Joseph who comes from Jacob, the second youngest of 12 brothers. Why would the second youngest of the 12 be the one who gets the blessing, who's called and used by God? God chose Mary, a a, 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 a small little teenage girl, although she did lose Jesus, but chose Mary to look after and raise the very Son of God. God chose fishermen to be the messengers of salvation. God chooses in ways that you and I often would not. And in this moment, God says, I will choose as I choose. And I will transform people as I will. God chooses Jacob. And in choosing Jacob, let's see a little bit about his character this morning. So continuing in verse 25, looking at, sorry, chapter 25 from verse 24. It continues. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called him Esau, referring to his redness. After he, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Jacob was 60 years, Isaac, sorry, was 60 years old when she bore them. When the two boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So it's good to see Jacob is named Jacob because his name means heel holder or a grabber someone who grabs and they grabbed up the heel and um, we can see that that's what he literally did at birth I'm not quite sure how conscious Jacob would have been as a baby coming out of the womb of saying Esau I want to be the firstborn you come back here but he did do it and so naturally he gets that name but it is somewhat prophetic because for the rest of his life Jacob is going to be chasing after Esau's inheritance He's going to chase after that birthright. He's going to keep trying to grab Esau and pull him back and say, I want what you've got. So it's a very prophetic name. And prophetically, he did what he did as a baby. And that's how he ends up getting that name. But then it's important to notice just the character of these two different boys. Notice how Esau's always out in the field, wanting to hunt. But David's with the people at home. He's quiet and he's in the tents. And then it's also interesting to notice how the parents love each one differently. I hope your parents don't publicly declare that to you. And say, well, you're my second favorite of the four. We've been asked that, Nicole and I. Who's your favorite of the four? We have no clear to answer that because there's no favorite. They're all equally loved, passionately, 100%. <laughs> but here it's clear that uh, Isaac says, I love Esau more. And Rebecca says, I love Jacob more. This is gonna get awkward and you'll see how the story unfolds, how it will. Let's go to verse 29 in chapter 25. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I'm exhausted. And because of that, his name was then called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now I'm sure of this. Jacob must have been thinking about this moment for quite some time. This wasn't a spur of the moment thought. As his name says, the grabber, he's thinking, I need to find the moment, the opportunity that I can take a hold of Esau's birthright. Perhaps even Rebecca was uh, a little voice in his ear. Because of what God said, perhaps, or because she's his, or he's her favorite, perhaps. But here we see this moment, Jacob is waiting. All his life he's waiting, he finds it. Here's the moment. Esau says he's about to die, I'm going to do it. This birthright that he's he's asking for, it included a great family inheritance. It would have included a double portion given to him than all the other children because he would be the firstborn, because he would receive that firstborn right. It would have been one that would have benefited uh, the immediate family, the extended family. But this birthright, remember, also included the very promise God made to Abraham, given to Isaac, and then should go to the next son. This birthright carries a blessing to all the nations. This is not just a small little certificate that Esau's holding. It's not just you'll receive some percentage of a financial blessing. It's not like you'll get to lead the family and they'll call, the, call you their leader. It's not that, there's more to this. There's the very blessing of God that Esau's holding on to that is at stake here. And what should surprise us this morning and from this moment is not how badly Jacob wanted Esau's birthright. I think we could get that, I guess. You could get that somebody would want the better gift, the better reward, the better um, um, birthright, the better inheritance. We could get that. What should come as more of a shock to all of us this morning is how Esau is so willing to give it up. Why would Esau so willingly give this up? This is an incredibly strange situation. I mean, how close to death is he? He's just come home, so he's there, but even his brother refuses to feed him if he's about to die so you can get the birthright. It's a very awkward situation, but here's what does happen. Esau gives up his birthright. He gives up the very thing that was promised to him. The very promise that would have impacted his family, his extended family, and the nations to come, as God declares, he chose to give that up for stew, and lentil stew at that. <laughs> this is a weird story, but he does it. But I feel a challenge for you and me this morning. And when I say you and me, I definitely mean me. And so I hope you don't feel offended by me saying you as well. But do you know that God says so clearly in his word that he's created you and me with purpose, right? God's determined good works, good things that you and I would take on, that we would accomplish, that we would walk in. It says that. God speaks about promises and reward and inheritance that he desires to give you and me One, because we become children of God. When you're a son and daughter of God, God says, I give you inheritance. I give you promise. I'm dreaming great things over you because I'm a good father and I want to give you good gifts. And also because as we walk in obedience to what God has asked us to do, God says, so you'll receive the goodness of God over and over again. But here's the question. How easily are we willing to forfeit all of this in moments of difficulty? discomfort of challenge or temptation. How often are you and I in the midst of God wanting to give us his goodness say, Lord, this is too hard. This is too tough. The temptation is too luring. I give it all up. It's happened over and over again. Adam and Eve forfeited the Garden of Eden to taste some fruit in the, in the belief that they would become like God. What a great cost of what a great promise for such a silly temptation. Esau gave it all up. We see it so over again. Do you know that when Israel was freed out of Egypt, their promise would have taken a a couple of weeks to gain. It was a promised land where they would um, live lavishly under God's protection. Over 600,000 Israelites leave Egypt that day. Do you know how many walk into the promise? Two. 600,000 men and women forfeited the promise God gave them. you know why? In the wilderness, they faced discomfort. They faced frustrations and obstacles. They faced temptations, and they chose to turn their back on God who made the promise to take the lure instead. I want to encourage you. God has got incredible plans for you. Many of the plans God's got for you and me are common, commonfold. We share in them, but some of them are so personal to you that God is calling you to not forfeit them, don't forfeit the promises that God's given to you for the stews of this world, because they're not worth it. I felt a challenge for many of our young guys this morning. If you consider yourself young, I just feel you're in such a key moment in life. You're in such a place where you've got to make some big decisions of your life. Who will you be? What's your identity? What work will you do? Where would you find your value? What, um, who would you pursue in a relationship? Where will you live? What's your value in this world? All of that's been posed to you. The warning, though, is there are so many voices telling our young people today who and what they ought to be. Those, 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 those challenges, I warn you, it's lentil stew. At the midst of you coming from the field, feeling the, 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 the pangs of hunger, are um, telling you to search for something and someone's offering you lentil stew for your birthright. And God's saying, don't do it. Stay strong. Hold on to it dearly. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage all of you this morning, I'm encouraging me. God, God's promising you and me great things, personal things and for us as a church corporately. But I tell you what now, the world is offering you lentils stew and saying, look at, the, look at the immediate desire that you're longing for. Look at the immediate temptation. There's a grumbling in your tummy and God says, don't give in to it. Don't do it, but hold on to the promise. Hold on to what God has got for you. Let's look at the last passage in Genesis 27. Please, at home, will you read verse one to forty-five? It's as the story unfolds. For the, the sake of time, I'll I'll summarize it. But read um, read that at home. Genesis twenty-seven. Here's what happens: Abraham is sorry. Um, Esau's now sold his birthright. That's been declared. But now Isaac's old. He's old, he is uh, uh, frail, his vision is incredibly weak, it's so weak he cannot identify somebody who stands in front of him, and he's close to death, and so knowing that, he calls in Esau, but he calls in Esau privately, and he says to Esau, I want to give you your blessing. I want to give you your your birthright as you've been the firstborn, but he says, first before I do that, will you go and hunt and prepare a meal for me like a meal that I like? It seems like the, the common problem here is stew, I think. But he says, go and make a meal for me, come back, and then I'm going to bless you, right? So he sends Esau out. Now, here's one of the problems. Rebecca's listening in, which, again, tells you there's something wrong with this family. Rebecca's listening in. She's kind of spying. She's not confronting Isaac on what God said. She doesn't say, whoa, 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 Isaac, God said to me when the baby was in you that the older would serve the younger. You can't do this. She doesn't say that. She doesn't come and sit in on the meeting. It's all done privately. Isaac privately calls Esau. Rebecca's privately listening in, but now she knows what's about to happen. So what she does is, because she loves Jacob more, and possibly because she knows what God said, she goes to Jacob says, Jacob, your father's about to give away this birthright that belongs to you, so we need to deceive him. Go and get two goats. I'm gonna prepare a meal for your father the way that he likes it. Jacob says, but he's gonna, he's gonna know I'm not Esau. He's gonna feel me, and remember Esau's, Lot hairier, he says. No, no, we'll use the hair from the goat, we'll stick it on you, and um, you'll wear some of his clothing, he'll know that it's you. And so, um, she plans to deceive Isaac. They bring the meal in. Isaac questions a couple of times, Who are you? He says, I'm your son, Esau. I've brought the food back. You asked me to do this. He says, You sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau, you smell like Esau, and eventually he says, You must be Esau. So, this is the blessing that he prays, what he assumes over Esau, but actually over Jacob. Verse 28. This is the prayer, the imparting of the blessing. He says this, May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's the blessing God wanted to be passed on to the next of that lineage. God chose Jacob, and this is how Jacob got it. And as he leaves, it says, Esau returns and says, Father, I've prepared a meal for you, and you can imagine Isaac's shock. Who are you? I'm Esau. Well, then who did I just bless? And the penny drops. Esau begs his father, give me a blessing. Give me any blessing. Surely you've got some blessing left for me. And unfortunately, he says, I don't. He says, you'll serve your brother. Your lands will be cursed. You'll live by the sword. You'll die by the sword. He says this. This is what Esau, but remember, Esau chose to give all that up. And now in this moment when life seems better, he says, give to me what you promised. We again could do that with God. God, didn't you promise me? And God says, I did. But you chose lentil stew instead. And so what happens is Esau vows he's going to kill Jacob the moment Isaac dies. That's his anger. Another thought is, do we see Rebecca in these moments as being deceitful to support her favorite son, or is she in accordance to what God said? Is it a bit of both? Something you can think about. What we do see, though, we see a number of faults and failings of men and women in the story, in this family. They carry such an incredible promise from God, they carry such incredible responsibility, but this is how they behave. It is so strange. They're flawed, they're misleading, they're not in unity, but still... God chooses them. God shows how through all of this, out of all the way that these people respond and behave, He can still bring the very good out of us. God shows how we can grow in our faith and faithfulness. God shows continually His mercy and His patience. God continually shows His glory in these moments. And the same is with us. God's called us. God chooses to use you and me, and he still uses those who are the unexpected. God still uses those who are flawed and sinful and, and at fault, but God still restores. God still shows mercy, and God still leads us to maturity. Can I encourage you this morning, do not rule yourself out for a moment because of who you are. Do you know Jacob, and you'll see as the story unfolds, he eventually ends up wrestling with God crying out to God for a blessing. He ends up being humbled as he's pursuing a wife and he himself gets misled by someone else. But in all of this, he seeks after God and he grows and he matures in pursuing after God. I want to encourage you this morning. You and I, we're not much different to Esau. We're not, not much different to Jacob either. We aren't different. But our response has to be similar in the sense of Lord I'm flawed, I'm faulty, but Lord, you will choose me and I choose you, Lord. Jacob was deceitful, cheating, but he grows to be called a hero. We see this in Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10. He says, by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then in verse 20, it says, by faith, Isaac invoked Future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. I want to encourage you this morning that you might rule yourself out from God's blessing. You might rule yourself out by, from being used by God because you might say, I'm a flawed man, I'm a flawed woman. I've got faults and my past is so damaging. It's so horrible. I'm so sly and deceitful. And the things I've gained, I've gained at fault. Do you know, many times when I think of my past, I have this loud, loud sigh. I'm like, Greg, how are you that? But God doesn't ask me to look back and sigh. He says, but Greg, look what I've done in you. Look what I'm leading you into. And we see that with Jacob. God picked Jacob. In all of his faults, and all of his sin and all his weaknesses, I'll be merciful to you I'll be gracious to you, but then I will transform you to far greater things. Church, I'm telling you this morning, God looks at you just as you are. He knows every fault you've made. He knows every wrong desire that's in your heart. He knows every sin you've committed and the very sin you're going to commit later today. He knows it. And yet he still looks at you with love and mercy and patience and says, I still choose you. You know why? Because if you choose, like Jacob eventually does, and say, God, I choose to seek you as my God. I choose to seek your blessing in my life. I choose to be obedient to what you've asked me to do. Let the immature, foolish Jacob of old be gone, but may the mature one who will impart blessing to 12 sons to come, for a nation to be born, and for the king of kings to come out of my obedience to you, God, I choose you. Our response this morning, church, is God, in the midst of all who I am, I choose you. Will you transform me? Will you bring life in me? May you speak your promise over me and may I serve you in your kingdom to achieve great things for you, Lord. And so Jacob was flawed, yes, but God transforms flawed men and women into heroes of the faith because of his graciousness, because of his obedience.